This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. You can join my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, each week as I dive deep into a new case with her. The purpose of this show is to tell a victim's story, to keep them at the forefront of your mind while we go through these cases. And by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. Sorry that I was MIA last week. Uh, We're getting some floors redone in our house and I wasn't planning on it being done last week and I had to end up doing all these home renovation things before that happened and I just totally ran out of time. So hopefully you'll forgive me even though I skipped a week right after we had all the Christmas break stuff. So I am back and I'm ready to get into this case with you today. I did want to address one comment that I got on TikTok first, which the TikTok I have is our podcast TikTok. So it's all related to this show. Um, And I mean, people on the internet are absolutely horrible, right? So I really do take everything, every comment with a grain of salt when they're negative. Like, I try not to pay much mind to it, but sometimes I like to address it or explain something. So this person was mad because I refer to the perpetrators in our cases as monsters. She let me know that they are human. They're not monsters, but I just disagree. Honestly, I do understand they're human. And I think if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I do always empathize with everybody. I even take a moment where I can empathize with a killer's childhood or how they got to this point in their life. But then I always take a step back and want to make sure that I am advocating for the victim. And unfortunately, while these people are human, they become monsters. They're human monsters to me and I will not apologize for calling them what I believe they are. I'm not fear-mongering. I'm not trying to scare people with calling them monsters. I truly, that is truly what they are to me. They terrify me, the people who do these things. So just wanted to put that out there and address it in a way. Like I said, I'm not apologizing for it. I just wanted to explain why I personally find these people as monsters. But again, if you've listened long enough, you know that I'm not just like totally cold to these people. I do feel bad for where they came from. I do feel bad for what they're made into. But once you take a human life or you assault a child, I'm done. I'm just done with you. So there's that. For today's case, we are going to be talking about a case that has to do with sex trafficking. I wanted to do this because January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and that's really important to talk about. I think sex trafficking can be very misunderstood, and you're going to kind of see what I'm talking about in today's case, but we always think of sex trafficking as 
went like a large scale crime ring type thing. Like it's this criminal activity going on on a large scale with all these big people in it. But that's not always the case. While sex trafficking sometimes might involve kidnapping and transporting humans across borders and doing all these very terrifying things, it's also scary to know that sex trafficking is happening all around us, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. And the most likely people to sex traffic somebody is their own parents or their own spouse. It is happening by family members and friends that they know. And today's story is an example of that. So I wanted to share this story to kind of put it in perspective for you what sex trafficking can be. It's not always just, you know, you'll see all those things on Facebook, like that this guy at the grocery store was following me and whatnot. And that is terrifying. Please be aware of that. Please keep sharing those stories. But we always think that is the one way our kids can be sex trafficked, but that's not true. It can often happen by a family member. And a lot of these people even get into these situations without, like, let's say a kid is a runaway. They might get into this situation where they start doing sex work, which a child cannot do sex work. So it's immediately um, sex trafficking, but even with adults who are getting into sex work, they might get into it thinking, you know, as their choice to pay the bills or to survive. But once they are not able to leave, that's when it becomes sex trafficking. It's a lot more complicated than, you know, somebody got kidnapped and they are in the sex trafficking ring. A very, very awesome website where you can learn all about the myths and the facts of sex trafficking is polarisproject.org. I went through this when I was just trying to um, prepare for this episode and it was a great website. It has all the human trafficking facts. There are survivor stories. I just I wanted to share this here at the beginning as um, a reference for you so that you can better understand human trafficking. You can also call them at 1-88-373-7888. You can text them be free, B-E. F-R-E-E at 233-733. And if you go on their website, polarisproject.org, you can live chat with them. I'm also going to share an organization, another one at the end that I think is really important. So there's two for today. Um, and I highly suggest you go to this website to just get a better understanding of sex trafficking and how you can be aware of it in your own communities. With that, are you ready for today's case? So Alex Lewis is just waking up. He's in this daze and he's thinking, where am I? Just before he locks eyes with his twin brother, Marcus, who he instantly recognizes. Alex says hi to Marcus. Like he says his name and everything before looking around the room to see some random people he doesn't know. Doctors, nurses, and a woman. By now, he has realized that he's in a hospital bed. Everyone seems hysterical. They're all worried about him. But he doesn't even have a second to process what's happening before the lady in the room starts getting into his face. She's like, oh my gosh, you're awake. How are you feeling? You know me. You remember me, right? But Alex does not know who she is. 
And it's about then that Marcus looks at Alex and is like, okay, well, do you know who you are? Alex thinks about it for a moment, only to come to the realization that he does not know his own name. He can't think of one single memory, not even one with his brother, the brother he does actually recognize. He can't explain it. There's just something about being identical twins that must have bonded them together. Like he could recognize him, but he had no memory of anything else in his life. So how did Alex get here to a hospital room waking up with zero memory? It was 1982 when Alex is 18 years old and he crashes his motorcycle. He had been wearing a helmet, but during the crash, the helmet flies off before his head collides with the ground. So once he's rushed to a nearby hospital, it's deemed that Alex is now in a coma. And due to the severe head trauma, doctors couldn't predict what brain injury, if any, Alex would suffer from. And it turns out he would suffer because he lo- he loses all of his memories. At 18 years old, he is now a blank canvas. Alex says that you don't realize how much you need those memories until they're actually gone. You need to remember family holidays or vacations. He says you need to remember your first kiss. Those are the things that form who you are. So when Alex is cleared to go home and his mom picks him up, he feels a little lost. He has no idea who he is. And on the Netflix documentary, Tell Me Who I Am, he says that on the way home from the hospital, his mom keeps telling him he must remember her. He totally knows who she is, right? But no, to him, he was in a car with a complete stranger being taken to a house that does not feel like home. Was this the lady in the hospital? Yes. Yep. It was his mom that was in his face. Yes. Okay. So same lady that picks him up. It's his mom. He just doesn't recognize her. So as they're going home, the car pulls into Duke's cottage. They live in Sussex. They're heading up this gravel driveway to a large home. And once Alex makes it home, he latches onto Marcus. This is the only person he feels comfortable with. And Marcus would take on the role of teaching Alex everything there is to life. So keep in mind, when you lose your memory, it's not like you only forget people, you forget everything. So TV shows, they're all new to Alex. He's learning how to tie his shoes, how to make toast. Marcus is explaining to him what the kitchen is, what the bathroom is. He has to relearn to ride a bike, which only takes a few awkward minutes before the muscle memory kicks in and he's able to catch on. So it's just this whirlwind of information taking Alex from the mental age of about six to the mental age of a teenager, like within a month. He's just like bombarded with all this information about everything. I'm surprised they didn't keep him longer to do more of therapy and rehab. Well, it didn't really say how long he was there, so he could have been there for quite a while. Yeah, but they usually know how, like, they reteach him how to do things, like, for, like, activities of daily living, like, tie your shoe, feed yourself. Yeah, he could feed himself, he could walk. They must have just not taught him the tying the shoes and stuff. And then, you know, he's just kind of learning how to live normally because he really doesn't know. Like, he can do it all, but if you have no memory, you just don't know what's normal, which is so weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm just trying to figure out if he had, like, a total brain injury, a TBI, which that's what it sounds like, but then to, like, what extent. He obviously couldn't remember. He'll never, he never gets those memories back. Yeah. So I don't know if that 
helps you know, but he never gets them back. No, because sometimes like they can't even walk. They have to relearn how to walk. And Yeah, I think he could walk and talk. Okay. Fine. It's really just like his memories. So it's pretty terrifying for Alex to step into this world that he really knows nothing about now. But with Marcus, he felt like he could conquer it. It's about one month in that Marcus takes Alex to meet all of his friends. It was intimidating. All these people know each other. They even know him. But he felt like he was a stranger in their world. And after this, Alex tells Marcus that he does not want to meet people and have them realize that he knows absolutely nothing about them. So the brothers come up with this little buddy type system. Before going to an event, Marcus would give Alex the rundown. He explains who each person is and what they look like, a few details about them, and, you know, like how well Alex knew this person. And through this system, no one was really able to notice that Alex didn't remember a single thing about any of these people. In fact, Marcus even lets him know that he does have a girlfriend, and Alex's own girlfriend wasn't even able to tell that Alex's memory wasn't coming back. And that he, in fact, did not remember a single thing about her before his crash. The brothers end up having this little joke between the two of them that Alex lost his virginity to the same girl two different times. <laughs> so mm. he, he doesn't really want people to know it's that bad that he's not remembering anything. And Marcus is helping him do that by just telling him things about these people before they go somewhere. Okay. So through all of this rebuilding of memories, Alex is constantly taking photos. Marcus says that this is because Alex is consumed with fear of losing his memory again. So he's documenting everything. Alex says, quote, we all take photos of the happy times, excluding everything else. We all do that, which is true. Kind of goes hand in hand with social media. Like you mostly post your happy times. You take photos of your happy times. So... That will just kind of tie in later on. So Alex had asked Marcus all about their family. Like, did we have good parents? Did we go on family holidays? And the questions are all pretty general because, again, Alex has literally zero recollection of his childhood. So he can't even ask specifics. And Marcus lets Alex know, like, yeah, we did go on holidays. He even shows him a photograph of the boys playing in the sand together in France. Marcus feels protective over Alex. He's taken on this huge role of helping Alex re-implant his memory. He feels like he's responsible for literally giving him his childhood back. Alex says that each fragment of information he was able to gather about his childhood was huge to him. It meant the world to him and it's helping him find himself. He felt happy to come from this privileged and idyllic family Although no families are perfect, so as he learns about his parents, they have their flaws, but overall learning about his memories and who his family is, is captivating. So Marcus tells Alex that the family is an aristocrat family, meaning they're a family that comes from a high social status. They had grown up around other people in this social standing. High class parties were often hosted in their home. But Alex realizes that his dad is pretty cold. He had never come to visit him in the hospital. And then when Alex finally makes it home, there are no hugs, just a handshake. And this man's explaining that he's Alex's dad. Though they lived in this really large home, there were certain parts of the home that the boys were never allowed to go in, mostly their dad's study. They were only allowed to go in there if they're invited, if their dad summons them into his office. 
But once Alex sees his dad lose his temper, slamming his fists onto the dining room table, he realizes that his dad is a pretty intimidating and scary guy. And this was not a one-time occasion. Their dad would often shout at them and dismiss them from his presence. And when it first happened, Alex asked Marcus, like, what's going on? But Marcus says that it's no biggie, just leave it alone. And when he acts like that, just be polite and always make sure to call him sir. That's just what you do in a family. So Alex is like, okay, he has no reason to question what's normal. He doesn't know what a regular family dynamic should look like. So he brushes his dad's behavior to the side. Now, this is actually Marcus and Alex's stepdad. His name is Jack Dudley, and the twins' biological father was a man named John Lewis, who had actually died when they were only three days old. He had died in a car crash. He was... I know, so sad. sad. I know. So, really, Jack is the only dad they ever knew or, you know, are conscious of having, although he is their stepdad. Um, And he works as an accountant and it's when um his mom their mom remarries jack that they go on to have two more children so jack and their mom have two half siblings named amanda and oliver oh he's uh probably glad that he forgot the memories of him yeah if he's like being rude and always losing his temper yeah he's like okay like people were just walking on eggshells around the dad So, and then as Alex gets to know his mom, he realizes that she loves to be the center of attention. Her name is Jill Dudley, and she certainly was the center of this family. She was loud, and she always made her presence known, but Alex found her fun, too. She would come into the room screaming, I'm here, and then she'd burst out into dancing. So, following the crash, Alex and his mom become really close. He grew to love being around her. And he explains Jill as a very tall woman woman with um, very large hands. And he says, very, very large feet. Wow. (laughs) That's his own words. Yeah. That's what he describes her as? Yeah. Like physically. He just says she's really tall. She's got these really large hands, large feet. I hope you guys don't describe me as... Oh, yeah, she's really tiny, little tiny feet, little tiny hands. Really short, a full 4'11". (laughs) Tiny hands that look just like her dad's hands. (laughs) No, we won't. I just thought that was funny. He's like really large feet. I know. There's got to be a better physical characteristics to describe your mother. (laughs) Yeah, there you would think. So there's... Um, another a little interesting fact about Jill is that she inherited all these Chihuahua dogs. She was obsessed with them. She was always like dressing them up in little outfits and doting on them. Super random. And what's funny is that Marcus remembers how the boys absolutely despised their mom's little dogs. Like the boys hated them. But when Alex comes home with no memory, he actually loves the dogs. He thinks they're adorable. Marcus is like, I still hated them. (laughs) Alex loved them all of a sudden. They weren't my thing. And their mom, she had a little shop, a little antique shop. And she was kind of also a hoarder. So she had antiques just filled in the home. Like she had antiques everywhere on top of her little shop. Um, And that was a little confusing to Alex getting to know their home and what's normal. Like he said, there was literally stuff everywhere filled in the cupboards filled on the countertops everywhere 
Oh, I would die. Right? Just, it's too much. She's a little quirky. So Alex and Marcus, they also don't actually live inside the house. They share a space that is actually the shed and it's located out in the garden. And Marcus says in a way they loved the shed. It was their own little space together. So in 1990, Alex and Marcus's stepfather, Jack, who they just refer to as their dad, because again, this is their dad. It's who they grew up with. He's dying from cancer. And as he gets more and more sick, he calls the two boys into his office one day and he's apologizing to them. He's saying that he regrets all of his toxic behavior and the anger he had inside of him for all of these years. He tells the boys he wished things could have been different and he asks them for their forgiveness. Alex is immediately like, absolutely, yes, I forgive you. But Marcus has a different reaction. With a blank face, he says, nope, I will not forgive you, before turning around and walking out of the room. Alex is totally taken back, like, what is Marcus doing? So he follows him into the hallway and asks Marcus what kind of person would refuse to give a dying man his last wish. Just forgive him. He's apologized. But Marcus again says, no, it's complicated. I just don't want to. So when Jack passes away just a few days later, Alex is kind of upset and he's confused by Marcus's reaction. Now, because Jack was so mean, Alex did feel maybe a little bit of relief in the sense that he thought the rules in the house would change, like they would have more access to the home and be allowed in those certain areas they hadn't been before, or that they would finally get a key to the front door of the home. Because remember, they're out in the shed. They had been out there since they were 14 years old, and they actually had never gotten a key that allowed them to go inside themselves. And by this point, they're like adults. So weird. It sounds like they were, like, well-to-do. Yeah, they were, like, well-to-do. Although, the kids didn't really know that. Jill had inherited a bunch from her family. But they had to have had a big enough house They had to house them. They did have a large house, but like they were always wearing hand-me-down clothes and all this stuff. And so the boys just thought they were like they didn't have a lot of money. Um, but yes, the house was plenty large that they could have had a bedroom inside. Yeah, I think I'd make my husband move his office out to the shed. Yeah, exactly. And have the boys take over the office. (laughs) I know. Literally. Like, no, they don't need to go out there. So, yeah, Jill had inherited a bunch of money. um, It's said that she was related to Prime Minister Clement Attlee. Hopefully I'm even saying that right. Um, And she inherited millions from the Attlee family. But she hid it away in a bank. Like, she didn't really spend money on I stuff in the house or on the kids necessarily so they just didn't realize that they had all this money they're thinking their dad makes all these rules so Alex is like okay now that he's gone we're going to at least get more access to our house but this doesn't happen in fact his mom buckles down harder on the rules and this is weird so Alex goes to the one person who is his constant in life and he asks Marcus why his mom is being so strict on the rules, even though his dad's gone. But Marcus brushes it off, telling him that he doesn't need to worry about it. So then five years pass until one day Alex finds his mom laying unconscious at the bottom of the stairs. When she is rushed to the hospital, it's determined that she has a fatal brain tumor. She tells the boys that she loves them and she's going to miss them so much. But right when she says this, she slips away. 
With the death of their mom, Alex is completely devastated. He's bawling his eyes out at the hospital. He cries and cries when they get home. But he notices that his twin Marcus isn't shedding a tear, and neither are his other siblings. Marcus says that when Jill passed away, he felt nothing. He wasn't sad. He wasn't relieved. He had no guilt about not being sad. He simply felt nothing. And this was the start of that perfect world Marcus had built for Alex coming to its demise. All the lies were about to crumble, and neither Alex or Marcus were prepared for it. So the duo heads back to Duke's cottage, and they start to clean out the large home. They're throwing things away, and they're like randomly finding these jars of money or bags of money, like tons of money, hidden away in jars and bags. Some are even tied like behind the curtains. It's really weird. Alex is like, okay, this didn't expect this, but like no one's disappointed to find money. So I'm sure they're, he's just like, all right, yeah, <laughs> I guess we have all this money. Now, after clearing out some of the rooms, they move on to the bathrooms. And one bathroom has this giant wardrobe. The boys open it only to find an enormous amount of sex toys. It takes Alex completely back. He's uncomfortable. I mean, none of us want to learn about our parents' sex life, right? Marcus also doesn't want to dive into it. So he's like, never mind that. Let's just move on. So soon after this, they go up to the attic. At first, this is exciting for Alex. He's seeing his baby clothes and school books. This is where their childhood was hiding. He could learn so much about where he came from just by looking through these old things. But there was something strange in that attic. There were piles of wrapped gifts. The boys start to look through them only to realize that these gifts had been sent to them each and every birthday from aunts and uncles and other extended family. But their mom had stuffed them up here in the attic and had never given them to the kids. This is when Alex learns that they never opened birthday presents on their birthdays growing up. And all of a sudden, his mom just became so much more complicated to him. Like, why did she do this? Why would she do this? What kind of person is she? Super confusing. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, because in the time he comes home when he's 18 to now when he's 32, him and his mom had gotten close. He's devastated that she died. And now he's like, why would she hide all these presents from us? They are literally wrapped. Like, they've never been opened. So it's confusing. But again, Marcus acts like it's no biggie. So they move on to Jill's room. They're cleaning out her clothes from this cupboard. It's this wardrobe type closet. And inside there's another cupboard, but it's locked. After finding the key, their youngest brother, their half brother, Oliver, he opens the doors to this cupboard inside the wardrobe and he finds a picture. He takes it over to them. He hands it to them without saying a word. And it's a picture of Alex and Marcus. They're 10 years old. Their mom has cut their heads out of the photo and the boys' bodies are completely naked. Now Alex is kind of sick. Like, what is this? What is his mom doing with a photograph like this? He doesn't know what to do and he's confused. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah, you're like, whoa. How do they know it's them? They could probably just tell, I guess. I'm not sure, but... It's super weird. Like, you don't expect to find that. I think even having the heads cut off was even weirder. I don't think I'd recognize myself nude at 10. Well, but they're also twins, so they, like, look identical. 
So Marcus is dealing with the horror of his childhood rushing through his mind, and he knows that this is the crack to the fantasy childhood he just created for Alex. So Marcus rushes downstairs to the kitchen. He's like getting himself a cup of tea, just trying to kind of calm down. But when Alex comes in and asks if they were sexually abused, Marcus's face goes white like a ghost and he drops his cup of tea onto the ground. Oh, and that, uh, they're 10. So actually they probably knew that photo was them because Marcus knew. Like Marcus has his memories. Yeah. So he probably knew where that photo was taken, whereas Alex doesn't have those memories, you know? Okay. Yeah. So... Alex comes into the kitchen. He asks Marcus is like, why does a ghost drops his cup of tea? And then he just nods. Yes. And he walks outside. He doesn't say a word, but Alex is not done with the conversation. He's rushing after Marcus asking if their own mom specifically had sexually abused them. And Marcus says it's true. The boys cry together. But when Alex asks for more clarity, Marcus starts to shut down. He just can't talk about it. Marcus does say that although their dad had a temper and was a cold man, he never abused them. And as far as he knew, his father never knew that Jill had sexually abused her sons. The two of them lived really completely separate lives. Although they're under the same roofs, it is explained that they both have their own areas of the house. Like they have their own wings of the home. Uh, Okay. So this photograph, this information, all of it coming out is a shock to both of their systems. Alex is completely blindsided. He feels lied to by the one person he trusted. He had already had to completely rebuild his life at 18 years old from nothing. But now he's 32 and he feels like he has to restructure his entire life a second time. Because everything he thought he knew was a lie. That rebuilding at 18 was based off of the life Marcus pretended they had. So people have told Marcus that it wasn't his right to choose what his brother got to know about his life, like it wasn't his role to play God. But Marcus felt like this was his only option. And the longer this fantasy of a great childhood went on, the bigger the fantasy became. At first, Marcus didn't want to burden Alex with the trauma of their childhood. He was an 18-year-old in emotional distress from losing all of his memories. Um, So Marcus just doesn't feel like it's the right time. And then it's about six months after Alex comes home that Marcus realizes the control he has over what Alex would know about his life. For example, the holidays. When Alex asked about going on family holidays, he never asked if they were with their parents. And Marcus doesn't just give up the details. So he told Alex, yes, we went on holidays. He showed him that picture of them in the sand in France. He just never told Alex that they never went on a holiday with their parents and that when they had it was only with their friends families alex had no reason to question marcus so the questions never got too specific and by omitting information marcus was able to create this illusion of a different childhood than they had without outright lying he would give these little specks of information without much detail and then alex's imagination would connect the dots At first, it was really simple, but Marcus is doing this from the time they're 18 years old until the time they're 32, so it does get more complicated. Eventually, when answers are more direct, Marcus does have to make that conscious choice to lie, and this does not come without guilt. They're best friends, they do everything together, they know each other in and out, so it weighed heavy on Marcus. However, For him, it was the lesser of two evils. Nothing would have been worse than telling Alex the truth. 
when he had been given this blank slate. Marcus tells the documentary crew of Tell Me Who I Am that their mother, Jill Dudley, had sexually abused them for their entire childhood until they were 14 years old. He goes on to basically say that it's crazy to expect he would have told his brother the details. Quote, if that's something I told you and you didn't know about it, that would F your life up. Which is true, like to just find out that information. So I can see both sides. Like as the person you would want to know about your life. And then as the brother, you would want to protect him when he doesn't have those memories. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what Marcus is saying in this documentary. Uh, yeah. Marcus even says he would have expected Alex to do the same for him if the roles were reversed. He feels like he was trying to give his brother this gift, this gift of not knowing. Right. And that anyone would do it for somebody that they love. Why give him back to him? It did kill him to watch from the sidelines when Alex came home from the hospital. All of a sudden, their mom took this memory loss for granted. She expected them to do all the things a son would normally do for a mother. But this wasn't a normal situation. He's disgusted watching his mom expect them to sing to her on her birthday. Quote, her boys whose lives she effed up are singing happy birthday to her. She expected hugs and kisses and Marcus watched silently as Alex built a relationship with that monster. Marcus starts to fall into this reality even himself. So he lets his mind forget the past. He said it was great for him to kind of forget the hurt and the shame that she caused him. He said when you're sexually abused in the way that he was, you feel really dirty and feel really used. So to forget all those feelings, kind of by pretending for Alex, he was forgetting all of those feelings himself. And he said it was just this amazing feeling to pretend like, yeah, I wasn't abused. On the surface daily, Marcus was living on the same plane as Alex. However, he didn't actually forget the past, but it was just nice to pretend it never happened. So since Marcus won't really answer questions, both of them just kind of move on with their life from here. They both get married. They both have two kids. They both run businesses and they run them together with each other. But through all this time, for 20 years before they did the documentary in 2013, they hadn't really talked about this huge thing that happened to them. The search for truth became an obsession for Alex. He like takes it upon himself to try and find answers. Through doing that, he finds all these love letters from like multiple people to his mom, colonels in the army, people high up in society, and they're all infatuated with Jill. He realizes that his mom's whole life revolved around sex. It was hard for him to put the mom he thought he knew in connection with this mom he's learning about. Through this search, he even finds out that after her second marriage to Jack Dudley, so the marriage she's in, like the dad with the dad they know, she has what is described as a psychotic episode. And through treatment, she apparently has this sexual awakening. And when she returns home, she actually puts her twins into foster care. During this time, she's just kind of doing her thing. She's partying. She's having multiple affairs. Oh, my gosh. Now, she doesn't even really want to bring the boys home, but her family's pressuring her, like, bring your boys home, you know? So with this pressure, she brings them home, and it's from here that their sexual abuse starts. This info starts putting Alex into a downward, downward spiral. He's questioning what's real, what's fake. Nothing makes sense. 
and his only saving grace is meeting his wife. She took him for who he was and all of the baggage of his past, and then she joins him in helping search for answers. Through all this time, like 20 years since they had found out, they don't discuss it. They just, they continue being around each other, but they don't discuss this. And that was really hard for for Alex. And Marcus realizes now that he maybe did the wrong thing. He says he should have hugged his brother. He should have talked him through it when all of this stuff came out. Um, instead, he says that he left him out to dry and that he wasn't there. So for him. he found out at 32 and then they didn't discuss it for 20 years. Yeah. Like what when he said, like, yes, we were sexually abused by our mom. That is where that conversation ended. Alex tries and tries to ask Marcus, like, what happened? But Marcus doesn't want to do it so Alex in his healing like really wants to know what happened and Marcus just wants to shut it all down Mm. like he doesn't want to discuss it so yes for 20 years they don't talk about it and that's what this documentary I watched is all about um like the first part is Alex's side the second part is Marcus's side and then they actually come together at the end for this documentary to discuss what actually happened and Marcus doesn't want to say it face to face to Alex so instead the documentary crew had recorded him telling what happened and then they play that for Alex which you watch on the documentary no yeah And so his video for Alex starts off by saying, okay, this is an F you to her. Let's do it. And then he kind of chuckled, which I liked. Like he was just like, all right, I'm ready to get this out there. Cause they're both crying so much through this episode. It's actually so sad. Like, cause they're both struggling so much and they're like older, you know? Yeah. Marcus says that their mom would take her into her room. She would put them into her bed with them her and she would make them touch each other and play with each other. Marcus says she would do things that no mother should do to their children. But that's not where the abuse ends. That's horrific. But she would also pass them to her friends. This is where the sex trafficking comes in. So a lot of times we don't realize that when like sex trafficking happens the most often within the home through parents or people that a kid knows trafficking them out or even an adult sometimes it's the spouse of a person I don't think we think of it that way a lot but when a mother is selling her kids for sex that's sex trafficking Mm -hmm. so they Marcus says that the twins were never together Um, they were always on their own she would drive them to friends houses they would have like dinner with the friend the mom would stay for dinner they'd have a glass of wine and then Jill would literally leave her kid behind for the night. Marcus says a strange man would then then take him, take take him over to his bed, start touching him, and eventually rape him. In the morning, his mom would come and pick him up, and then they would drive home together in silence. And this happened multiple times. And she's selling them for sex to other people who were high in society there wow all of her high class friends yeah how can you even your conscious even let you do that no literally i have no idea it is the weirdest thing conscience yeah i always say that wrong no i do too i say so pretty much all the words wrong but yeah i don't even know how you would begin to even have that thought like no 
or like feel okay doing that to your kid yourself and then giving your kid to someone else and it's like if you have the money if you need money i still don't care like literally lose your house literally die before you ever sell your kids to somebody but she also didn't need the money like she was just doing it yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah she was just doing it to do it so this is happening all the time and then marcus would know when it's happening to alex because Jill would come in and she would take Alex away to stay with a friend, but Marcus knows what's going on. This was just their normal life. Marcus says that children will accept anything because they love their parents and they think that what their parents are doing is a is a part of growing up. So what age did this last until? So it lasts until they're 14 and he dives into how it ends. Hmm. As a kid, he just thought this was a normal part of growing up, which is what a person like this would make their kids believe. Um, and even now, he says that he thinks, F you, mom. Like, he is, like, furious with his mom. Angry. Yeah. yeah. And he wonders, like, how dare she think that she can do that to him? Um, but she's dead already. So he kind of feels like she got away with it. Um, and he wishes that he could tell her, like, screw you. And he regrets never saying that to her. But he says now he's speaking out. Now he's telling us. He's telling all of us who he doesn't know. But he says, now you know who my mother is. And now you know what she has done is wrong. Did it happen to the half siblings? So, yes, it does. I don't know about it's reported that Amanda, the girl, they're not sure if she was ever sexually abused by her mom. But Oliver was sexually abused by his mom and he actually grew up thinking he was the only one because none of the brothers like had talked about it with each other i think both the twins knew they both were because they were so connected but then oliver's younger so he grew up his whole life thinking he was the only one probably until he finds that photo and all this stuff starts coming out mm. so the very last time for Marcus and Alex that this happens and when the sexual abuse ends his mom had drove Marcus out to London to have dinner with an artist he says supposedly this is a quite famous artist he says that they have dinner and when his mom leaves he is brought into this room filled with paintings he's put onto a bed and this man starts touching Marcus again he's 14 years old and once this man touches Marcus's genitals, he says no, and he pushes him away. Now the guy gets really aggressive. He's getting mad. And Marcus decides, like, I'm out of here. So he manages to make his way out of the home, and he just walks back to his house in the middle of the night. He just walks home. He comes back. He knocks on a window. Alex actually wakes up and lets him in. And then in the morning, they come in for breakfast. Jill is obviously shocked because she thinks she has to go pick up her son from this guy that she dropped him off to be abused by. And Marcus says that they just look at each other like they locked eyes with each other. They said nothing to each other. And then it never happened again to either of them. Oh. So I don't know if she just realized like they got too old. Yeah. And like they would start standing up for themselves and it ends there Aww. and that's kind of how this documentary ends they he watches the video and then they kind of bring them together and they talk about it and they just 
you know, finally Alex, like in his fifties is learning about like what really happened to him. Marcus is getting it out. And yeah, they were not only through his research, Alex says he concluded that obviously their mom had sexually abused him, but he didn't realize the magnitude of what she was doing, that she was literally selling them for sex to her friends. Ugh. Lucky for him, he forgot those memories. Like, he doesn't actually have the real memory of it, where Marcus does have to live with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that is, like, just awareness. It's a great documentary called Tell Me Who I Am, but, like, some awareness that this is... Kids are often being sex trafficked by their own parents. Disgusting. listening i'm your host kayla waters our co-host is alicia jenkins our palette cleanser is given to us by charlie waters and our music was created by Jaden schultz please visit us on social you can find us on instagram tiktok and twitter and give us a shout out we'll try to share we'll try to respond and we just really love you for the support if you haven't yet please leave us a five-star review would be the absolute best but any review that's nice would be very appreciated so So if you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I love you for that too. Um, And don't forget to share our episodes with your friends and family to spread the word. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and today we are going to be learning about sharks. You know how they say sharks have to stay in the salt water? Well, there is one exception. Bull sharks can go out of salt water. They can go into brackish or even fresh water. Brackish water is a mix of salt water and river water. Bye. Have a great day. Okay, guys, the other organization I wanted to share with you for this episode is Operation Underground Railroad. I cannot say my R's. Like I said in previous episodes, I went to speech therapy for my R's. So excuse that. I cannot say railroad. That's two R's too close to each other. So this organization is Operation Underground Railroad. And you can visit their website at www.hiddenwar.com. I follow them on Instagram and it's called R Rescue. O-U-R-R-E-S-Q-U-E. And they say on their Instagram that they exist to rescue children from human trafficking and sexual exploitation. I absolutely love that their specific focus is on children and rescuing children from these these operations. Um, And I actually, there are two websites. I skipped one. So there is the hiddenwar.com website, but there's also www.rrescue.org. www.org. O-U-R-R-E-S-Q-U-E dot O-R-G. So I highly recommend you not only visit their websites and donate and get involved, but also that you follow them on social and help spread the word of what they're doing and share with other people this organization because they're doing really good work. They post about some of their success stories and it's just a great page to be a part of and learn about human trafficking and really what it entails. And, you know, we need to help save the children. So, you know that children are like my number one priority. 
Um, and I just love this organization. I think they do an incredible job. Again, go visit them on Instagram, go visit their websites and just show them some love.